Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, happy new year. Is it happy? I'm not sure yet, but it is a new year. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's up for debate. It's left to be, it's, it's, you know, to be determined. That's <laughs> all I have to say about that. Um, but the cool thing, it is a new year here at Woven because we are starting a new format this year that we haven't done before. Um, we talked about this a little bit in our December episodes, but we are going to a monthly episode. So hi, this is your January episode. Um, they will be tailored more to like a talk show format. And so let me just go through what that means. We're going to have a topic every month, like a central topic. And then we're going to go into kind of a devotional from Rebecca Pete surrounding that topic. We're going to have an interview. Then we're going to talk through some recommendations of things that kind of like, so if we talk about today, we're talking about reading in January or our whole episode is devoted to reading. So our recommendations are going to be like, how to find um, good books, um, resources for if you want to read more, that sort of thing. Then we're going to have a recipe and then we'll have a practical exercise. So um, that is what we're talking about. Um, All of our episodes are going to be centered that way. Today, we're just interviewing one another, but going forward, we'll be interviewing other people um, regarding the topic. So, yep. Sounds good. Woohoo! And... (laughs) Interesting, this episode, it's it's so interesting how God works. Um, Every time we seem to make a shift or he calls us to a shift or to um, a new season or whatever. So um, I feel like it just falls like exactly perfectly number wise, episode wise. And that's just how my brain works because I'm so like symmetrical and logical. But, um, you know, we, we originally, when we started this podcast, we started to do everything in quarters. So every mm-hmm. 25 episodes, we start a new season. And so it just oh. happens to be that this, happen, this happens to be our 126th episode, which means oh, it's the cool. start. It's the start of season six, which is very our new cool. format. Isn't that cool how that works? I so. did not know that. That's very exciting. Um, I mean, less exciting for me, but I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> because that is kind of cool. Um, Oh, that's funny. Um, so anyways, I'm very excited. Um, new season, new format. Um, hopefully, uh, it still serves um, our listeners, you guys, the way all of our other episodes have. But it's just changing things up a little bit. And a little plug. We're also going to be once a month over on Patreon. So if you're a patron, you actually get two episodes from us a month. And that'll be more of our what you're used to from us when we when we do episodes where we just like chat about what's going on in the world and what we're liking right now and all of that kind of stuff are a little bit less serious episodes um, happen to be over on Patreon. So if you like that from us and want more to hear from us more than once a month, the link to how to be a patron is going to be in the show notes. Yeah. So these episodes on your podcast platform are going to be like our outfit for a night out and Patreon is going to be like the gross sweatpants that no one sees. (laughs) (laughs) Like the gross outfits that you know you're friends with someone if they show up in that, you're like, are you okay? Those. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. Um, we definitely like that our unedited versions over there. So um, come join us. Um, okay. So we're going to start with, as we will every week, B 
because our podcast is a Christian podcast and we try to talk about the balance of, um, you know, everyday life and our faith. Um, that's kind of our mission here at Woven. And so um, I'm going to start with a little devotional and it's interesting. <laughs> um, Rebecca asked me to, Rebecca Cochran asked me to, you know, do a devotion on reading from the Bible, um, you know, like the importance of reading from from the Bible, any verses on that. And it's interesting because there's not really anything in scripture about reading. Obviously there's scripture about studying the word and meditating on the word and why knowing the word um, as in the Bible is important. Um, but, you know, when the, when the Bible was written, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, most people were not literate. People did not actually mm-hmm. read words. Um, stories were passed down verbally. Um, or, you know, a letter would be written and one person in the congregation would be able to read and they would read it to the whole congregation. So a lot of people didn't read um, in Bible times unless you were, you know, um, elite or educated because your family could afford to educate you or whatever. Most people did not read. Um, Almost always a man, right? Most, yes, I mean, definitely most, not women. Most women, yeah. most women were not literate. Um, and definitely, you know, in the Old Testament, you're talking about like Abraham and that, that there was no... There was no real writing happening. Everything was passed down um, narratively by speaking. Um, so th- there's not a lot in scripture about the importance of reading words. Um, but I think y- we can infer. Um, God talks a-, a lot in scripture about telling a long story. And stories are, are, I mean, a lot of scripture, I mean, Jesus taught in parables. So I think that story is important to the heart of God. And so reading good story and imaginative story gives us pictures into who God is. Um, And I was also thinking about it. um, You know, Paul talks about training your, your mind on whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is holy. And while scripture is complete and it can teach us everything we know for life and godliness, I think that there's stuff outside of scripture that can also teach us what it means to be noble, pure, um, to think mm-hmm. on things that are are beautiful, like there there are things that can expound our knowledge of God and our world um, that can come through man and woman. You know what I mean? Through people, humans yeah. <laughs> can come through humans um, through um, reading. So, and, and there's a lot in scripture about training our minds um, and training our spirits and um, disciplining our spirits. And I think that. Um, reading can help us do that. It helps us expand um, what we think about things. It helps us to expand what we think about God and the world. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons <laughs> to read and expand your mind. Obviously, there's practical reasons too. I mean, we have to read manuals. We have, if you're going to become a doctor, you have to read things to become a doctor, whatever. And I, I think that's all within the realm of doing everything God calls us to, to His glory. We have to if, if we're called to do, to be our very best and whatever he's calling us to, obviously expanding our knowledge of things is important. Um, and there's caveats to this. There's, you know, Paul talks about um, testing everything we read through, um, through scripture and through the Holy Spirit. And so we are called to not um, just be um, readers that don't um test what we're reading and just read things, um, you know, naively and believe whatever we read. Obviously God calls mm-hmm. us to a higher calling to, to be, um, discerning in what we read and 
you know, whatever we're, whatever we're taking in, <laughs> you know, to, to be careful with what we're, we're allowing into our minds. But that doesn't mean we should, we only have to read the Bible all the time. And I think sometimes Christians have this um, mentality that we should just read scripture or read things that are about scripture and that's it. And I think that um, God's um, heart for our, um, the, the strengthening of our wisdom and our knowledge expands past just reading books that are about theology, even though I love to read about theology. There's, I think God, it's just like going to see a movie or going to look at paintings in an art museum. God can use, or going out into nature, God can use all of these things to show us more about himself. Yeah. Well, and to show us about people. I mean, we're we're called to love one another. And when you think about what does that look like? I mean, loving someone starts by knowing them. I mean, you know, you can't authentically love someone you don't know a little bit. And like reading, I mean, getting your mind opened about, people who aren't in your immediate circle is a really good way to start with loving people. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that you're always reading to like advance yourself or to, you know, it's also like, you're just reading to expand your horizon of, of the world and the people in it and to know their experiences. Like what's that Mark Twain quote? Like um, a reader reads a story to remember it. A writer writes a story to forget it or something. Yeah. Um, I think of that here, like, um, like what if Anne Frank hadn't written her experience, you know, I mean, how many people have been changed by that? And it's, yeah, you know, there's just something so beautiful about getting to read someone's, someone else's thoughts, whether or not they're like perfect. Um, no, I agree. I agree. I think it makes us more whole people. It does. And, you know, we're called to love the world and we're called to bless the world and we're called to, um, to love one another. Um, Jesus. So there's a lot of verses from Jesus about loving one another. And it's really hard to love somebody you don't know. Um, So I Mm -hmm. definitely think if you only love people that are like yourself, um, that's very insular. And we have to expand um, what we know about about humans and the human condition. Um, And one way to do that is through reading for sure. Um, to learn about other cultures and other religions. And because it, you know, there, there's this thought that if we read about other cultures and other religions or whatever, that we'll stray from, you know, Christianity. And I actually, I think reading all of those, uh, about all those things and reading about other people's experiences actually helps us um, more, um, more able to define our own Christian experience as in compared to versus being in an echo chamber. Um, well, that's of, a very like fearful thing. Like don't yes. read it in case you like, it's like, I don't know. I don't, there's so many similarities too. And it helps you yes. to have grace for people who think differently than you because we all, I mean, many, like, there's obviously like big things that aren't in common, but a lot of the things in the major religions are like pretty similar. Yeah. Spot on. So. Yeah. And, um, you know, nobody wants to listen um, about your relationship with Jesus if you're not willing to listen to um, who they are and how they live their life. Like people are much more open to hear what you have to say when you're listening to what they have to say. Um, So just reading is just a way to, I think, um, expand your your boundaries. Um, So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, well, in reading, like, it just made me think like I, I'm an only child. And so I grew up like pretty much having to entertain myself all the time. Um, (laughs) And so I read like a lot and I remember just finding so much community in reading and it wasn't like authentic community because there were characters in books, but just feeling like understood and validated. And I feel like in a lot of ways, reading and stories can step in 
where we need them. Like, I mean, imagine mm-hmm. like there's someone going through grief for the first time. Like there's like maybe someone in your family can't speak to that, but you can find great books on coping with grief and it can. So I yeah. don't know. I just think like it, reading is not a substitute for human connection, but it can definitely um, bridge the gap where it isn't there. I agree. I agree. Uh, well, that's like a very good segue into our next segment. Um, our, well, this would typically be our interview segment, but we're going to interview one another about um, our history of reading and why we love to read because both of us are um, avid readers, I would say, uh, for mm-hmm. different reasons and some for same reasons. And we like to read different things. And we'll talk about that more when we get into like recommendations of what we've read this year and what we want to read next year. But um um, and and I and I'm not naive to think that there aren't people listening to this who don't like to read, <laughs> and so we can talk about that a little bit later too when we talk about you know our practical application, like next steps. Like, yeah, you you don't have to be. And I want I don't want people to feel shame that we we read so much and they don't because I think there's ways that we can um, expand our horizons through reading without being someone who reads multiple books a month or whatever. And there's ways to to um, you know practice the discipline of reading. So. Um, anyways, but I did want, we do want to talk a little bit about our own experiences. So you started to talk about it, Rebecca, a little bit about why as a child you love to read. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how reading has helped you or why you love to read or anyways? All of yeah. Those. I mean, I remember in elementary school, we had like a little, um, they called it a publishing house, but they just would like publish your book and they would like print the words and you would like draw the picture, you know, and um, it would have your name on the front and so I wrote this whole series about like a, a wiener dog. His name was Doofus the Wiener Dog. And it was like this whole like, like chronicle of his life. And I just remember um, there was just something that's never left me. And I've had my name in one book since then. And it was um, a cookbook I worked on. I was like in the, like the thank you section or whatever. And there's just something about that feeling of seeing your name in print that has never like it's amazing to me. Like, it's just like one of the best feelings in the world. And, um, I just, I'm saying all this to say that like, even, you know, my little like third grade doofus book was, there's something timeless about it. Like it's something that, um, and I think there's something in all of us that want to make history in some way, like not in a big way, but like, we want to leave our mark on the world. I think that's very human. And, um, something about books does that for me. And, um, so I've always loved to write. And so those go kind of hand in hand, like writing yeah. and reading. But I think that I had books that really, cause I grew up in a, um, only child, um, you know, sometimes super lonely, a lot of times super lonely. Um, I never felt like I fit in at school, especially as I got a little older, like I just, I went to like your typical, like white suburban high school where, um, really big school sports are really important. Like that's not who I am, but I also like, wasn't like a theater kid. So I kind of just was sort of like floating around. Like, I mean, I had friends and stuff, but it wasn't, I never felt like I fit in anywhere, which also was a big part of my personality, I think. But, um, (laughs) I don't think I would have felt like I fit in anywhere, but in those times, I remember, certain books would just give me like a sense of like, Oh, other people feel that way too. Um, and they would validate like, or other people have like these situations, whether it be at home or with friends that are not ideal. And it would speak to these things that I felt like as a kid, I couldn't really talk to adults about. And I think that's the other thing is like, books are just, 
they don't judge you and they're just there, you know, like, um, I think a lot of times we're nervous to talk about our problems with other people or like things that, you know, you'll talk about some things, but not this one thing, but there's always a book there to help mm-hmm. you. And that's so just like, it's invaluable. I mean, there's, you can't, I don't know. So reading is deeply important to me. Um, and in all levels, like I read to just, or even back in the day, like I read to be entertained. I read to learn. I read to grow. Like I read for all kinds of different reasons. But I would say the two books that really impacted me the most were Matilda by Roald Dahl and Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh. Um, both of those just Matilda. And if you haven't read Matilda, it's like fantastic. It's, it's um, one of my daughter's favorite books. So if you guys are yeah, um, very akin in that way. <laughs> yeah. She just, um, basically everyone around her is like an idiot and she's like, we've got this special gift and like, and I don't want to ruin it if you haven't read it, you should read it. But like, um, she has a teacher who believes in her and she ends up, um, like surviving the bad stuff and surviving bullies and surviving like, um, really bad authority figures and, I just think all kids can relate to that in some way. I mean, whether it's mm-hmm. like your parent or like you had a bad teacher or it just, it was so validating. And I remember thinking like, and it's funny looking back on his books because I've read a few of them as adults and it's like, wow, this is intense for kids. Like, I'm like not even sure I like my kids are ready to read that stuff, you know, but I, I think that, I just think it was things like when you're a kid and you think no one else feels this way, those mm-hmm. books made me see like, oh, wait, like people do like, and it's okay. And like, and not only do they feel that way, but they make it out on the other side. So that was what Matilda did for me. And then Harriet the Spy, like, I think I saw myself in that character. Like she was very mischievous and very, um, and like, I'm really nosy. Like I'm probably one of the nosiest people in the entire world. And I don't talk about it. I don't gossip. I just like want to know everything. And like... <laughs> Harriet the Spy, I just, kind of the same thing, I guess. Like she had different people in her life that filled in gaps for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't really feel understood by the people in her life, except for her, um, I guess you could consider her like a governess or an au pair or something, um, old golly. But anyway, it was just a way of introducing the types of adults you would encounter as a kid and kind mm-hmm. of making sense of them. Does that make any sense? No, that totally makes sense. Okay. Um, so as a kid, I would say those were the two most important books to me. And then growing up, um, I would say three authors, well, two authors and one, just one book, all male, which is unfortunate, but, um, Tom Wolfe's books really, um, have done a lot for me. He's a, he passed away like in the last few years, but he's, um, he was a, journalist and a writer so he would go live in communities for like a long time and then write these novels but it was like they were based on real people mm-hmm. and it just every one of his books i have read has led me to understand that culture more that he talked about and i didn't really get it until i read his book about atlanta which is called a man in full and when i read that like having grown up like my family's like from the part of town he that a lot of the book is based in and i remember being like oh like he's right on the money. Like he gets these mm-hmm. people. So then because I knew that when I read books like Bonfire of the Vanities or Back to Blood or uh, I Am Charlotte Simmons, it was like, 
you can kind of trust and be like, wow, this guy mm-hmm. really does know what he's talking about. And he's like presenting these people in this way that is so accurate. And so, um, so like, I don't feel like he's like judging people. I feel like he's just like presenting, like, this is this character and like, this is just what it is. And there's never really like a resolution. I don't think mm-hmm. it's more just kind of like, these are people and it's like a character study. So his books really, um, got me interested in like, I've just always been interested in journalism and like understanding people and why people do the things they do and what Mm -hmm. motivates people. And so his books have just always really fascinated me, um, no matter what the subject is. And then, um, David Sedaris, which like, David Sedaris, yeah. I mean, he just has this way of pointing out just the absurdity of human behavior, but also like preaching, like in this way that you don't even see coming. And he'll just like leave it. And you're like, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Because it's a, it's hilarious. Like his funniest short story is about when someone pooped in a toilet at a dinner party and left it there and he had to deal with it. <laughs> it's just like, which they're not all about. I mean, that's the only story about poop, just so you know. But like, it's just, it's just <laughs> this absurdity where you're like, right? It's kind of like almost what people love about memes, I think when you see like this and it's so accurate and you're like, yes. And like, no one talks about like that little shred of human experience, but yes, I feel like that's what his stories do. Um, and it's like self deprecating a lot of times, but in a way that doesn't, it's not like an Eeyore way. I don't know. I just, I think he's so brilliant. Like, I think he's one of the most brilliant people and he's Amy Sedaris's brother. So of course they're both brilliant, but, um, I love all of his books. Me Talk Pretty One Day is my favorite, probably because it was the first one I read after I heard him on This American Life, like when I was in college and I was like, who is this guy? And then I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was obsessed forever. Um, I don't know. I think he's brilliant. And then a book I just really enjoyed was A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. I That was probably the first um, like... Pulitzer Prize winning, like acclaimed novel I ever read as an adult, like that wasn't required reading from school. And I still, I, I kind of want to reread it. I haven't read it in like seven years or something, but it's just so brilliant and good. And I guess my central theme is characters. Like I care more about the characters than the story, I guess, but um, that's just a really great read. So those are mine. Yeah. <sighs> I think for me, I think we have some similar reasons for why we were um, into reading as a kid. Um, You know, I wasn't an only child, but I was, you know, my parents divorced when I was teeny tiny. And so I was, you know, the product of of divorce home and, um, and a single mom who had to work a lot to, you know, put food on the table. And so it was me and my brother a lot. And so, and I also lived in a very small town. Um, but I've always been the type of person, you know, it's very basic, but, uh, you know, there's, there's more, you know, there's more than yeah. like this teeny tiny town where everybody thinks the same way and everybody does the same things. And if you don't, then you don't fit in kind of thing. Um, and so I, you know, was, I always have this constant battle between being, you know, one of the group, um, and, wanting something more. And so Mm. I think books gave me the something more um, because I've always, you know, wanted to travel and I've always wanted to learn and expand my horizons. And the way to do that when you live in a teeny tiny town with a single mom who works 12 hour shifts, like 
as you read. Um, because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, now, you know, with the internet, there's other ways to expand your knowledge. But when we were growing up, the internet was not really there. It's definitely not for me because I'm a few years older than you. There was definitely no internet. And so the way you expanded your knowledge of things was to read. And so I feel like both of, I feel like both of my, um, you know, I, I, my reasons for reading were twofold. I think one of them was, you know, to, to expand my horizons in a way that I couldn't in real life. And another one was I, um, when I stress, when I get stressed, um, you know, as, as my personality type, it's to numb out. <laughs> and so some of my reading is done for numbing out. And, and there's pros and cons to that, just like numbing out in any does. So I think sometimes I ran away from life and ran away from my emotions and my feelings um, and, and just like went into a book, just like I now Dang. use Netflix for that purpose. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of that too, I think. So when I, when I think about the books that, um, and you know, words have always been important to me. And I think we've learned a lot this week um, uh, about how words matter and how words make a difference uh, for good and bad. And um, there's power in words. And so I think I've even known that since I was a young child. You talked about that a little bit, like how... Um, so I am not a verbal processor in that I don't process out loud. So I don't out, um, process my feelings or my thoughts out loud. But I've always processed it through reading and writing. And when I write things, there it tends to be more power in them than when I say them. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think everybody's that way. I think some people, you know, are orators or, or speak very eloquently. And so, and, and they process on the fly and can speak immediately to things. And that's just not who I am. Um, I, I, it takes me a long time to process things and then I write it out. And there's a lot more power in what I have to say and what I have to think and what I feel when I write it down. And I think I've known that since I, I was a young child. And I think that reading has helped me learn how to put my thoughts down on paper because I see how other people put their thoughts down on paper. And I can remember, you know, I've never, even as a young child, I never talked about my feelings. I never told people what I thought about things. I mean, I did, I was opinionated. I know that's shocking, but I, but when it came to like how I really feel about things, yeah. I didn't, but I would write it down that, you know, I just have lots of memories of just like sitting outside of my backyard. We lived out in the country, sitting outside of my backyard um, and writing you know, whether it was very poor attempts at poetry or if it was story or if it was just journaling. And I think that's always been a part of how I deal with life um, Mm -hmm. and seeing how people do that. So I've always been very much into um, fiction that is realistic, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's going to sound very basic what I'm into, but what I was into as a child, Uh, but, you know, like a Judy Bloom. Or, oh, um, yeah, the baby, totally. or the babysitter's club or something like that. Because what they were doing is, is they were girls like me and the author was able to so poignantly write about what it was like to be in that age group um, and how they process their thoughts. Um, you know, Judy Bloom's um, Hello God, um, It's Me, Margaret. Like mm-hmm. to me, I, that's the epitome of every preteen girl's like, life, you know? And I, so I always really appreciate it because I wasn't ever able to talk about the my normal human condition, um, out loud. But if I read it, how somebody else wrote it, then I was able to then write it out. Does that make sense? That's why that book is like still one of the most popular books, like for women. I mean, even though when you read it, you're like, what do you mean? Like my book is back then 
their pads were like attached to a belt. So I remember yes. reading that like, what is she talking about a belt? But <laughs> so that part's a little dated, but like, oh yeah, yeah. totally. But, but the feelings are, are not dated. Yeah. No, not at all. So I had I so I had so I had a love for books like that that were very realistic um in the way they portrayed uh, my age group. And then I liked the other side of things. I was very much into fantasy because I very much wanted to escape the world I was mm-hmm. in. Um, so um, the ones that had the m- largest effect on me were um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There were some mm-hmm. I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Narnia. <laughs> like every time I opened a book, that was my goal was to go to Narnia. Um, so th- there is a lot of metaphor in that for me. Um, and then my other one was The Wrinkle in Time. And mm-hmm. there was just something about, and I'm not actually, I really don't like science fiction, but there was something about Madeline Engel's writing that transported me. Um, I very much identify with the main, the, the, the heroine of that book. Her name's, why is it escaping me? Cause I've read it like 20 times, but I very much identified with the um, heroine of that book um, and her quest. And I, on top of, um, loving the idea of being transported to I liked I love time travel books like anything mm-hmm. that involves transporting to somewhere else <laughs> um and so and then on the other side of that there's a very spiritual um aspect to both of those books obviously written by C.S. Lewis and Madeline Engel who are and at the time I wasn't a Christian but there was just something that showed me who God was mm-hmm. in those books and mm-hmm. I didn't know that as a child that's so cool but I look back on it now and see how much it those books played in the spiritual form, my spiritual formation. Yeah. Um, so um, I really love al- um, allegory. Um, that's one of my favorite genres. And so both of those books have a lot of allegory in them. Yeah. Um, and then I think as I got a little bit older and moved into like young adulthood, um, I, I got much more into historical fiction. I've always been a student of history. I have a minor in history. Um, and so I, and there's also a transportation in that too. So I went through a phase where I was really into, um, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre. And because there was strong, female characters living in a time where you weren't supposed to be a strong female character. So I think they're, you know, I've always had like this bent towards obviously feminism and, (laughs) um, and strong female characters and, but seeing them in a time when you weren't supposed to be a strong female character has always, um, meant a lot to me. Plus, I, I still read a ton of historical fiction. I love history. I read history books for fun. Uh, we'll get into mm-hmm. that when we're talking about what we're reading right now. I like to read books on history. I love history. Um, so uh, historical fiction is always important to me. Um, most of my novels I'm currently have on my shelf right now are historical fiction <laughs> novels. Um, so that's just, you know, we all have our genres that speak to us. And I, and, and I, and I feel like um, reading history, even if it's historical fiction, helps us to see because history repeats itself, right? So mm-hmm. we get to see how it's repeating itself, um, which helps us to know what to do next, I think. Um, there's a, it's a little bit of prophecy, right? Um, and, then, um, and then I feel, I always feel iffy about sharing one of my favorite, other favorite books that changed me as a teenager, um, because I feel like there's, there's, I have issues with it as well, but is To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about back on it now and I look at it now and I, I don't really say that a lot because there's a lot of white savior complex in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, but as a girl who grew up in a small town in Texas, mm-hmm. where everybody looked just like me, and no, everybody had the same experience as me. Um, I 
didn't know the experiences of, the, of other people. I think because Texas is a different place. Texas is not the deep South. Texas um, did not, wasn't a part of the Civil War. We weren't a part of the Jim Crow South. Like even though we're in the South, technically we didn't go through that. And so as a kid living in, uh, whose parents were from New York, I didn't know, um, and, you know, we lived in a time where we were learning history as kids, where it was very muted history. I think our kids are learning better history now, hopefully. Um, to read To Kill a Mockingbird, it opened my eyes to other people's experiences. And I think mm-hmm. it, I think I've always been, I was born with a bent towards justice and a bent towards um, um, social justice. I, I was born with that in me, but I think To Kill a Mockingbird a to kill a mockingbird awoke that in me. Does that make sense? <laughs> like that, that, and I, and I, for the first time realized that people had other experiences than me that had happened not very much longer, too long before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it awoke in me. So, like, I have, you know, there are pros and cons to that book, but I think for me, it was, I think there are more books out now that are better for kids to read about um, the Black experience in the South, but for the time, that was what helped me to um, open my eyes. Um, and the other one was The Great Gatsby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and I think I remember reading it in high school and for the first time starting to see um, history repeating itself. Um, what I love in the character of The Great Gatsby is it's a picture of, you know, of of the of a per, uh, you know of of the wealth in the 1920s and just the 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 excess of that and you know as a kid growing up in the 90s <laughs> I think um, I was in 80s and 90s where we we as a country lived in great excess as well um, I it just helped me to to be able to understand current times better um, plus I just think he's a fascinating character to study <laughs> um, he's just <laughs> such a, such a um, rich character um and i and like you said we're talking about character i really love your good character development as well um so anyways those are those are the books and kind of my um reasons for why i love to read and um why it's so important to me that's awesome do you think um do you think your mom did anything because I, so I was talking with Chris about this because he is not a reader like my mm-hmm. husband. Um, he does not like to read. He like his only memories of reading were like when he had to for school, and it was like checking a list and like he just never enjoyed it. There was no joy in it. And um, I just wonder because I mean I think most of us want our kids to like to read because as far as coping skills go, it's pretty benign. Um, you know, it's pretty cheap. It's good little hobby right like we but do you do you know of anything your mom did to like make you a reader or to encourage it in you um so it's interesting because my brother and I um you know grew up with the same parents (laughs) um and I think (laughs) um we were very different as children obviously as all kids are um I was an extremely avid reader I have I have memories of going to my best friend's house Friday after school and I would spend all evening with her and sometimes spend the night and I would like go into her room and start taking books off her shelf and start reading instead of going and jumping on the trampoline. And I can remember her begging me to stop reading. Um, so obviously I have been an avid reader since the beginning of my, that would be like second or third grade, you know? And so I've always, um, looked for a book. Um, 
And so I think part of that, I was born that way. Um, my brother was not like that. Um, my brother is now an avid reader as an adult, but he was not as a child. He hated to read, um, never wanted to read. Um, and my mom didn't treat us either of us any differently. Um, but I do, I will say she modeled reading. So even though mm-hmm. my mom was a nurse who worked 12 hour shifts and she was a single mom, she was always in the middle of the book, but she mm-hmm. never for, she never forced us to read. Um, and so I think, you know, she modeled reading, like she, um, and my dad is also an avid reader. So when I was with my dad, he was always reading as well. And he was always, he's always read biographies and history. Like he's a student of history as well. So I think that's where I get that from. And my mom's more of, she likes just to read good fiction. Um, and her and I sh- still pass books back and forth and we always have. And so, um, I think that that did help develop a love of reading me that was already there. Um, she also took us to the library all the time. And I think part of that was because she was trying to instill a love for reading us. And another thing was it was free, you know, right. you yeah. know, as a single mom, he was scraping by like, what can I do with my kids on a Saturday when I'm off? That doesn't cost money. I can take them to the library, <laughs> you know? Right. And so I, I have so many deeply wonderful memories of and she would sometimes she would take us to the little library in the little town we lived outside of Waco but once a month she would take us to the big library in downtown Waco which you know if I went there now it would feel like minuscule compared to like some of the big libraries (laughs) and big cities but as a child it was multi-level it was it was it was three stories that's huge to me, you know? Yeah. So I have, I have these memories of just being surrounded by stacks and stacks of books and going to reading time and, and just like going up there. And I remember when I got my first library card, when I was allowed to check out books by myself. Yeah. I always, um, you know, when I was, you know, in elementary school, junior, uh, junior high and high school, I went to the same school all the way through. I lived in that library. Like if I had free time, it was in the library. I was always in the library. I was, de- I was definitely a nerd. <laughs> um, and so um, I just, I, libraries and bookstores are some of my favorite memories from childhood. And my, somebody had to drive me there. So yeah. I think, you know, my mom um, definitely encouraged that, whether she meant to or not. Like whether she did that on purpose or not, I don't know. I should ask her. Um, but so I think that, you know, I've done the same for my kids. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we frequent the library. My kids have library cards. We go to bookstores. Um, we're, we have books everywhere. Um, my kids ebb and flow between loving to read and not loving to read, but I don't force them to read. And I think that's huge. I mean, they have to do what they have to do for school, obviously. And I do, um, there are times that I'm like, okay, it's reading time. Um, but I don't um, ever, I don't ever force it. And I think yeah. that I don't use it as a punishment. And I think that's, I remember, I do remember as a child as I always, my mom used to punish me by making me, telling me I couldn't read. Um, so, you know, some people would take TV or phone away from their kids. My mom would take books away from me. That was part of grounding. <laughs> yeah. Um, whether that was right or wrong, I don't know, because I didn't care about the TV. I didn't care about being outside. I cared about reading. And so that was, you know, I guess my currency, if you will. Yep. Um, so anyways, um, I think that's what my mom did. Um, and I look and I think about, you know, my husband, like you said, is, is not, he's not an avid reader. He reads to gain information. 
So mm-hmm. if he needs, if he's like starting a new business or fixing the refrigerator or, right. you know, le- learning how to buy a new stock, you know, like he's going to read about that. So he is avid in that way, but he doesn't just read for entertainment or read for like, you know, the reasons we love to read. Um, and, you know, his dad was, his dad read a lot, but it was always business type of books. And then his mom is actually not a big reader. And so I think that uh, even though she 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 taught um, fourth grade for thirty years and and avid uh, pushed her kids to read good books that she taught, um, I she herself is not a big reader. So I think a lot of it is modeling, um, nature versus nurture. Yeah, and there and there's a little bit of, of nurturing, you know, that happens. I think, um, and I think it's also important. Like I think about my own kids, I let them read what they want to read. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I have to read the things that they have to read for school, but I, I went through this phase where I was like, we have to read the classics and you have to read really good books. And like, oh, they, yeah. they just resisted that. And, you know, Nathan reads a lot of comics and like, part of me is like, it, it really rubs me like, <laughs> cause I'm like, oh, yeah. but you know what he's reading and he loves to read them and he picks them up on his own. And, um, and hopefully that'll develop into something more one day. Um, so I try really hard not to tell them. I give them opportunity to choose their own books, um, even though I would rather them read other things sometimes. <laughs> um, I would yeah. rather them want to read what I like to read. Um, and Milo's starting to move more that direction, um, but it's it did not happen because I forced her to. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and I think it was just always valued when I was growing up. Um, not so much by my dad, but my mom was, um, she was raised by academics, like people are professors. And so just like reading and not being a dummy were like really important (laughs) when I was like younger. And I remember it was always like encouraged and praised, you know? Um, and I remember like, we definitely went through periods as a kid where we had like no money where it was like bad. But I remember she just like had this rule, like, we always have money for a book. Like she would just always mm-hmm. like find a way to buy a book. And I remember like, there was just such comfort in that. Um, and even now, like as I've, I mean, when Chris and I were first married and we didn't have any money or like when we first had Maddie and Penny and we were like, you know, on a single il- income all of a sudden and we were like, crap, what do we do? It was like that. They just always, I, I just kind of maintained that. And Chris didn't really understand. He's like, no, we actually don't have $13 for you to buy a book. But I was like, no, it's like this rule I have and you just have to deal with it. But it, there's just this comfort in it. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny because both my kids, like they're they're six. So they're in kindergarten and they're learning to read. But one of them is like very naturally, like I think gifted at it. Like she picks up on it quickly and she like knows all of her sight words and she like can get it. And my other child is not as interested. and it's just harder for her. And, um, but it's funny to see the books they want to read like at bedtime. Cause the one who isn't interested, like she likes the colors and the pictures and the, you know, so it's just, it's interesting. Like I was trying to read, um, through the Ramona books with them and I kind of had to stop. So I was like, this is too much. And they can't quite, or one of them, I don't want to say who can't quite focus on it. Um, because there's no pictures. So a part of it is like, I need to chill out a little bit because I just really want them to want to. Um, yeah. But I think what you said is good. Is like a lot of it is about modeling. Cause I mean, that's also the reason they want a phone because they see mommy on the phone all the time, but like, hopefully they see me reading books too. Um, and that's attractive, but yeah, I just think, 
I think not forcing them is just huge because I feel like just as people, we resist what people try to make us do. And if you want to enjoy something like it's like anything else, like exercise or like healthy food or whatever it is that like good habits. I think it's just, yeah, we can't force them, but it's hard because you just, I just so badly reading is so good for me that I just really want them to have that too. Um, Yeah. But yeah. It's hard. And, and it's also knowing that, you know, they're going to like different books than you and that's okay. Like that, that's been hard for me. Like I think about all the classics I want them to read that I loved and they aren't interested in that, you know, and, yeah, um, you know, I can think for instance, like the secret garden was one of my favorite books as a kid. Um, once again, being transported to a place like Narnia, you know, the secret garden, there was something yeah. about that. Um, the beauty of a, a place you could just go to, um, that was different. And, um, you know, Milo's tried to pick it up multiple times because I have like an original copy that's like beautiful with all this artwork and mm-hmm. she's tried to pick it up a couple of times and she's just not interested in it. And I've had to get past that, you know? And yeah. so, you know, she may not like Pride and Prejudice as much as I do. And I'm on like my third copy of it, you know, like I just, she's just, you know, that may not be her, the thing she likes to read and I have to be okay with that. Um, but I do, you know, I was worried one time, you know, they always do those things in like preschool, and like early elementary where you have to write about all the things about your mom and like things come out, like, <laughs> like what's her favorite drink, wine, you know, and then you're like, oh, and they yeah. read it out loud in class. You're like super embarrassed. Um, and I remember one time, one of, I think it was Milo, one of hers was, what does your mom never leave home without? And I was like, oh Lord, what is she going to say? Like, I just was like, yeah. I thought on the list of all the things that she's going to say and how embarrassing this is going to be or what this is really going to say about me and what she sees of me. And she said books and I almost started crying. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> because it's true. I don't ever leave. I don't ever leave home without one, but there's a lot of things I don't leave home without. So what is she going to say? You know? Right. And so, um, <laughs> Um, so I was so, I was so thankful and it comes up a lot, you know, how much I love books on those kind of forms. And so, you know, it's modeling. So anyways, okay. So let's go, we don't have a ton of time left, but let's go a little bit, like, I guess through, um, what books were we've read this year that we love and what we're reading we want to read coming up. And as a part of that, we can talk a little bit about practical application about like how we can develop um, our reading. Mm -hmm. So what have you read this year that you love or in 2020? We're in a new year, but last year. Um, Well, we said five, right? So I picked five books that were... Which was hard for me to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're all kind of random, but so spiritual books, I guess I... um, Barbara Brown Taylor, Learning to Walk in the Dark. Um, I just feel like I don't have, I mean, mostly when I read spiritual stuff, it's like Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis. I don't really have like a feminine energy voice in my head very much when it comes to faith. Um, And I think that's really been not good for me. Um, I think we all need to read both sexes when it comes to talking about God. And that's something I'm trying to get better at. And I just feel like, the thing she says, just, I think she's probably a similar personality to me, which is part of it. I feel understood. But I think even if you aren't like introverted and sort of romantic and dreamy eyed, you could get so much out of it because she, the book is about facing darkness. Um, she faces physical darkness. Um, she faces like emotional darkness and, and how, you know, what we've learned about darkness is that it's opposite of God. 
but how like maybe that's not true. And just these things that you believe because you've heard them a million times, but then when you start actually like studying the scripture or like thinking in a different way or through a different lens, you're like, maybe, you know, a lot of good things happen in the dark, you know, and it's not always bad. And like darkness is needed, like, you know, for a seed to grow, like that whole analogy. And like, there's just so many times that darkness is necessary and that we're just scared of it and we avoid it. Mm -hmm. And so this book is just like kind of her journey of learning to walk in the dark. And, um, it's really good. I actually like finished it and then immediately started reading it again because that's what I do, um, when I like something. So it was really good. Um, I would highly recommend anything she's written. I think she's fabulous. Um, so actually three of my books are by women. This is great. Um, did you ever have that moment when you were like in high school and you were like, wow, it's so weird that all the great writers of the world are from England and male. Huh, yeah. I guess no one else is smart. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, oh, we just didn't get to, yeah. So anyway, I'm <laughs> trying to expand my reading in many ways um, across all kinds of people. Um, the other male, or, okay, I'll go male. Um, Bill Bryson's uh, The Body. Did you read that uh-huh. this year? I didn't read it, no. It's so good. I also read that twice because, okay, so he goes through each um, system of your body. So like every part, like the nervous system, your digestive system. And he, it's a book about the history of medicine and the way your body works at the same time. Oh, that's cool. I would like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Rebecca. Like, and I'm not like a science, like I'm very interested in science, but I'm not, um, I'm not like on that level, you know, like where I understand, like, I don't know, I'm a very layman interest. So it's good for people like me, but I think it would be good if you're like a little smarter at that stuff than I am too. But it's just, it's so fascinating. I learned so much and like, I love it because you can also just pick it up and read one section that you're interested in. Like you don't have to, but the really bizarre thing was I started reading it in like February or March and that's when the pandemic started. And there's this whole freaking section about, um, viruses (laughs) it was just so weird to read it because he was like talking about how like all these scientists were saying like we'll have another play yeah like and so it was just it was really weird timing to be reading that but i thoroughly enjoyed it um i would recommend it super highly and it's one of those good books for just like a doctor's appointment or like those kind of books when you just need something to carry with you and have at the ready um another book i loved was called the secret life of, or no, the hidden life of trees. I think I'll have all these linked in the show notes, but um, it's by a German botanist and Mm -hmm. arborist. Anyway, it's about how trees live and communicate in community. And it's not woo-woo, like it's real, it's science. It's like, (laughs) and it is so fascinating and you will never like look at a tree again. Like they talk to each other, they help each other, they're in community like it's crazy just to read and it's not a very long book but it is just it was so fascinating to me I've always just loved the woods and trees and forests and stuff and um if you have any interest in that and it's not I I think it's a fairly easy read to come from somebody who's such an expert in that field like he he does a good job of making it accessible really great book um and then Edna Lewis's The Taste of Country Cooking so this year brought up a lot of um, my own issues with race and my own things I need to repent of and seek justice for people. And my way of processing that, um, I, I tend to be slow with stuff like that. Um, I try really hard to not jump in with both feet 
most, not because it doesn't deserve that, but because I just don't operate that way. And then I burn out. So I try to like, you know, a slow burn. And so something I started thinking about when all that was happening was how in the South, our famous chefs right now are white guys, but how that's not right. Like those weren't the people who cooked until probably like 50 years ago and how really the people who cooked in the South were black women, like for majority of it. And then I started thinking like, well, I've always been interested in Edna Lewis. She's a famous black Southern chef. She's passed away. Um, but I was like, I never read any of her books and I should read her books. Like that's, that's weird. I haven't read it and then I haven't prioritized it. So I got it and, um, it's fabulous. And it's not, I mean, obviously it's about food. It's not overtly about, you know, racial issues, but I think that through reading that, I remembered that the lens through which I see other people in the world is food. Like, I feel like if I know, like how you eat is how you live. And I feel like I can understand the culture and kind of understand a lifestyle by understanding like the sorts of things people eat or how they cook or what their meals are like. Um, And so I think this was my like baby step in a long process of this work in me was through reading this. Cause it's not just a cookbook. It's like she, she walks through the whole year of like a harvest calendar. But I mean, you know, there's a whole part about um, revival, like the the celebration of revival, which is like black churches in the South um, celebrate the end of slavery and like the sort of food they made and like what it meant to them. And like just reading from that perspective made me so aware of how little of that perspective I've heard, but it also was accessible for me in a language I understand. So I feel like it really has helped me a lot in that area. Um, And then Kate Bear's What Kind of Woman is a book of poetry that I'm not like a poet. I mean, I like poetry, but like, I don't know. Sometimes it just makes me think too much and I don't have the brain capacity, but hers, (laughs) like she just writes poetry about all, and it might just be Poetry just makes me feel too much. That's why I don't read it. Well, I don't like, I think I don't like when I read a poem about a chair, but you're actually talking about your mother. Like, I don't want to have to like do that mental gymnastics. You know what I mean? Like how some poetry is so like, okay, I get it. And it's like, I just, there's like, that's the type of reading that I'm not interested in doing. Like that's the type of like academic reading and like that I just am not here for in like my day-to-day life. But her poetry is very accessible it's just really honest in a way that like, I mean, she writes about being a woman. She writes about her body. She writes about her marriage and motherhood. And it's like, she writes all the yucky parts of it in a way that you're reading it, like kind of looking over your shoulder, like, Oh, like you, Oh, like you feel that way sometimes about like your kids or, Oh, you feel that way about your body or like, and it's just, I, I I read it and just like cried and it's hard for me to cry because I'm on Zoloft and it blunts my emotions. So if something makes me cry, <laughs> you know, it's good. But, um, I gave it to two of my really good friends this year and they both were like, Holy crap, that book. So I think like, I, I think it's a really good one. I think if you're a woman and you're, you've been married or are married, you have children. Like, I think you would just really resonate with her work. She's so good. Um, so those are my books. Uh, Kate Bear's book, The Tree Book, Edna Lewis, The Body, and Learning to Walk in the Dark. Those are my five books. Very nice. So my five books, even though I have way more, but that's a story for another time. Um, so one of the things I committed to this year, which is 
something that you kind of touched on too was I realized you were talking about food, but for me, so this is interesting because this is kind of the dynamic of our, um, of our podcast. But so for me, theology is super important, obviously. Um, and I view a lot of things through the lens of scripture and theology. And, um, I realized all of the people that I was reading, (laughs) um, about theology who I've ever studied in theology were white men from Europe. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, my goal this year is to read more theology from people um, of color. And so um, I read several books, but the one that I, um, that was probably my favorite is called Reading While Black um, mm-hmm. by Esau Macaulay. Esau Macaulay um, is um, a priest in the um, Anglican church. He is also a professor of theology. He you know, has his PhD, he's very smart, he's an academic. Um, but he wrote this book called Reading While Black, and the, the subtitle is African American, An African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. Um, there's a lot of history of the Black church in it um, about how they interpret scripture at, versus how whites interpret scripture. And like the, like how- You mean can, our way isn't the only way? And how, you know, you know, during like, let's take the time of slavery, for instance, you know, the scripture was used by whites to to show how slavery um, was okay um, versus when the black church read um, scripture, what they saw was, um, you know, the Exodus story and mm-hmm. um, redemption and, um, you know, how they were going to be freed from their oppressors because there was a lot of that kind of wording in scripture and like yeah. how, how to find the middle of those two things the, between the white interpretation and the African-American interpretation. Um, it was, you know, just being able to read scripture um, through a different lens was very important to me. I actually probably need to reread it. So um, that was my theology book for this year because um, I always have a theology book. <laughs> um, and then um, I usually have, you know, another nonfiction book of some sort that's usually, I'm not huge into self-help. I don't really like self-help or prescriptive type of books, but I do like to read some kind of nonfiction that makes me think and challenges me. Um, and so this year, um, my favorite was Compassion and Conviction. And it was mostly because I was probably thinking a lot about politics, but um, mm-hmm. that, that whole book is done by the Anne campaign. And it's about um, seeing how there's Christian interpretation um, I mean, that you can be a Christian. There's room for um, Christianity in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Yeah. How, like, there's parts of the Democratic pa- platform that are Christian and non-Christian. There's parts of the Republican platform that are Christian and not Christian. And so, like, being able to see, but that's why it's called the AND campaign. You can see both sides. And so that's what that book's about. Um, and it was very helpful to me. It's very short. I highly recommend it if you're ever, if you're a Christian and you're trying to figure out, like, where you fall in the spectrum and how it's okay to not to not be on both sides of the spectrum. So, uh, or it, you want, it's okay to be on both sides of the spectrum, yeah. not to take one side. So I highly recommend that one. Um, I think every Christian should read it. <laughs> um, American Christian, because it's about American politics. It's not about politics in other countries. Um, and then my favorite novel, um, I had so many this year because of a pandemic. I did a lot of reading. <laughs> um, but I would say the top of my list was Homegoing by Yog Gayasi. And I think I've talked about her when we were talking about our list back in November. Um, another, I was also, I've been also trying to read more novels by African-Americans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I picked up this novel. It was um, given to me by a friend. Um, and it's, I just don't, I, you just have to read it. It's the story of um, a family in Ghana 
from like back pre-slavery days, like, you know, these tribal leaders in Ghana, and then how they get infused into the colonial, uh, English colonial times. And then they start becoming slave traders with the, the British. And then part of this family gets sold into slavery and gets sent over to America into the deep South. And like all of these stories are going on at the same time, but it's the same bloodline of um, people from Ghana and all the way into like the civil rights into now and how this family like transported through all of that time mm-hmm. from this tribe in Ghana. Fantastic. So well-written, beautiful. Like I, um, I, I think Eng- AP English lit classes um, should read this book. It's so good. So good. Um, so, and I, I am currently waiting on her second novel. I'm like 21st in line at the library. So, uh, <laughs> but it will come to me at some point. Um, so I've got Reading While Black, Homegoing, Compassion and Conviction. Um, my bi- I always am trying to read like some kind of biography. And so my biography for last year was Team of Rivals um, about Abraham Lincoln and the political genius of Abraham Lincoln. Um, uh, so good. Um, so the, the, the premise of the biography, it's super fat and long. And I don't know what to tell you about that if you want to read it. But, you know, it's like a thousand pages or something. But it's all taken from his journals and the journals of all of his rivals. Mm. And, and it shows, that's why it's called Team of Rivals. And so it, and it shows how, you know, it was kind of like this year with our, um, the, the Demo- Democratic primary where there was just all these people running. So that year, that's the Republican Party is starting. Abraham Lincoln is kind of considered the founder of the Republican Party. But that there were a lot of Republicans, if you will, it was, the party was new, running for um, the the um, candidacy for the Republican party. And Abraham was like, nobody knew who he was and he ends up winning. Um, And it tells why he ends up winning above all these people who are like, you know, political, um, you know, they've been there forever. And he was an unknown and how he, he asked every single one of those rivals to be a part of his cabinet and how um, Mm -hmm. that proved to be um, super helpful because literally right after he became president is when the civil war starts. And so to have their, um, each one of their different um, qualities as a part of helping him get through the civil war. So it goes into all of that. It's a fantastic book on leadership. So good. Um, And then um, I always, I'm always rereading something every year, like a classic that I love. And this year I read Jane Eyre um, and I just find her to be a fascinating character. (laughs) Um, I find her to be extremely inspiring. Um, It's, very much a feminist read, <laughs> um, but it's so fan- such a fantastic love story. Um, uh, yeah, so that was my reread this year. So, word. What's on deck for next year besides the second novel that you are on the library list for? <laughs> um, so I am. I just started cast, um, and it's it's called it's cast, and then the subtitle is the story of our discontent. And it compares the caste system in Nazi Germany and the caste system in India to the caste system in America, which our caste mm-hmm. system is, is race. Um, and it compares the different systems of caste and how they cause discontent. Um, it, it is freaking amazing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so well written. So, I, I mean, I, I'm only about a quarter way through it. I can already tell it's going to be a book that changes my life. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, on that. We'll get back to that when I finish. Um, so it, um, it, Isabel Wilkerson, and so it's a woman, so that's exciting. Isabel yes. Wilkerson wrote it. Um, and she wrote, um, 
the, war- the warmth of other suns that one like one of the big warmth yeah. of other suns yeah so that was I, you know it won all kinds of Pulitzer awards and stuff so she this is her second book um and then my theology book this year it has not come out yet but i'm waiting for it is 10 words to live by by jen wilkin it comes out in march and it's about how it's about the 10 commandments and how they apply to our lives today lives today oh, so cool. i'm really excited about that because she's fantastic um i like to read anything she writes um and then um i'm this year have decided to read the daily bible and this isn't a bible bible i mean it is the bible but it it, it turns the bible into a novel and so you mm-hmm. get through all the Bible in a year, but it doesn't in chronological order, like like a novel would be done. Because you know our Bible's not written in chronological order. So um, it um, so I'm reading that again this year. I've I've done it before, but I'm reading it again. Um, and then my um, two novels besides the one by the second one by Yagasi uh, is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I've had it on my shelf mm-hmm. forever. It's my goal to read that because it was one of the best novels of last year according to other people, we'll find out if I agree. And then one of my favorite um, authors of historical fiction is Ken Follet. Um, he, so his series, uh, his Pillars of the Earth series um, about the, um, the designing and building of cathedrals in Europe during the Middle mm-hmm. Ages is one of my favorite series of historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And um, his new book, The Evening and the Morning, is the prequel to all of those books, which I've already read. So I'm very excited to start reading that one. It'll probably be 5 million pages because all of his books are, but I love them so much. So I'm so excited about that one. So those are mine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, What do I have on deck? I have The Good Neighbor, which is the Mr. Rogers biography that Aaron Moon recommended. Um, I just, I think I kind of like sanctify Mr. Rogers. And so I'm curious to see like a more whole view of him. Um, not that I don't want him to be a saint, but he isn't. So I'm, I'm really interested in people who like leave that kind of legacy, but are also still very human because I feel like that's what I want to be. But I also know that he wasn't perfect. And so I'm just curious to read about more about his life. Um, and then A Brave New World, just because I've never read it. And uh-huh. um, my neighbor was like, you have to read this. We can talk about it. So I have it on my bookshelf. I'm going to read that. And then um, I got a Quest Study Bible recently that I've heard recommended from several people. So that'll be like my new scripture thing. Um, and then I've had this like Tozer book on my bookshelf. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now for a really long time that I've just never read. And like every time I pick Which it up, I've read, um, something man. Okay. History, not history. man. It's like, there's one about man, one about God. Yeah. It's the main one. Um, okay. I mean, I should read all of them, but that's what I'm looking at. And it's just been sitting there and Every time I open it, I love it. It's just, I don't have... Hopefully when my kids go back to school and maybe they'll go to camps and maybe I'll have time to read again. Um, But those are the things that are on deck, which I'm now realizing they're all, again, white dudes. So I probably should diversify that a little bit. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, that's awesome. Any other... before We're going to... If you have a recipe and then practical application. So I guess let's do practical application application first like any hints I, we don't have a lot of time left but any hints on um ways that you be, can become a more disciplined reader or how you get your reading in or whatever do you have thoughts on that yes i would say number one put down your measuring stick like don't compare it don't like don't measure it don't look at like how many pages you've read or how many books you've read and i also maybe this is just me but i wouldn't like tell a bunch of people about it 
I was reading this article the other day about New Year's resolutions and how people like how it's better to not like because people will be like on social media like I'm gonna run every day this year like they'll post what their resolution is but you get this false sense of accomplishment if you like say it even if you haven't done it yet and I think that can be true for reading like if, like I just said oh, I'm gonna read these three books and so I'm already getting that little like dopamine hit but what if I don't read them you know so I think like yeah. um, maybe just. I think like, just do it, make it your own thing with yourself. Don't tell a bunch of people like I'm trying to read because then it's like, then it gets overwhelming and people are trying to throw books at you. And it's like, and also like, if you can't think of anything to read and it's all overwhelming, like get a book of poetry and read one line and just think about it. Like, I think yeah. quality is more important than quantity in this. That's a big one. Because I think yeah. we try to like, yeah, we try to be impressive. Like, oh, I read this many books this year. And it's, it's not really about that. Yeah. What do you think? So I will say for me, um, utilize the library. Um, that's a big one for me. Um, I say either join a book club if you don't have time for that, or that seems too overwhelming, which I understand. Um, or most of them are online right now. So if you don't want to be in a Zoom call book club, find a friend that that you know has similar taste to you. And like, so I have a couple of friends, um, for, you know, one friend who, who's kind of my nonfiction person, and then one friend who's kind of my fiction person. And I, we have the same taste and we pass books back and forth. I think that's really big because that creates a sense of community and connection, which helps you want to read, I think, because um, then you have somebody to talk to it about. Um, I think always having a book. And that doesn't mean you always have to carry a 500-page book in your purse everywhere you go. But I think always having one on your phone, like if you have, you know, the mm-hmm. Kindle app or whatever on your phone, um, I I find because I, I, you know, I always hear people say I don't have enough time to read, and I think part of that is because we have the like you were saying we have these ideas that we have to read four hours on a Saturday with a cup of coffee, but like. If you like are sitting in the grocery store line and you normally are scrolling Instagram, what I try to have myself do is have a book on my phone so I can be reading the book instead. Or when you're at the doctor's office waiting or whatever, if you always have one on you, I always have one in my car um, so that when I'm sitting in carpool line to pick up my kids, I think it's very important to always like, so, you know, when Milo said, I always have a book on me, she's right. Because that's, that's how you get a little bit of reading in here and there. And, 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 and like I, for a long time, think, well, if I can't read, if I don't have time to sit and read a whole chapter, then I don't have time to read. But like you said, just reading a few lines, like is, is, is good work, you know, and it helps your discipline of reading. So I think those are all important. I also think, um, I think we talked about this before, but um, it's okay to not finish a book that you don't like. Don't feel yes. this pressure to finish a book just because you, just because you think you should, even if you don't like it. I mean, life's too short for that. It's like life's too short to drink bad wine. Life's too short to continue mm-hmm. reading a bad book. <laughs> so yeah. give yourself permission to stop reading, um, especially with nonfiction books. Give yourself permission with a nonfiction book to, um, to like you know, sometimes nonfiction books like you learned in the first like three chapters what you need to learn from that book. You don't need to finish it if it's repeating itself, you know, like it's okay, you know. Same so like self-help it. books or like, yeah. 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 So give yourself permission to do all of those things. Um, you know, get audible, you know, listen while you're running, you know, there's like lots of ways you can like fit in reading. Um, and I think also having different genres, like, cause you know, sometimes I feel like picking up a nonfiction and sometimes I want to read a novel and like being in the middle of several of those books, um, types of books. And I mean, you know, some people don't want to be in a bunch of, in the middle of a bunch of different novels, but she can be in the middle of a, a theology book in the middle of a novel. And like, sometimes you fit, want to pick up that novel and sometimes you want to pick up the theology book, you know? So. Or like a book of 
like essays, like a book yes, of like exactly. that funny. I mean, there's so many great books from like funny people, just short yes. essays, like Tina Fey, Mindy Kaling, yes. David Sedaris. I mean, there's like a gajillion. So there's yes. always like, yeah, I think yeah. reading for your mood is like really important. I agree. Any other thoughts? And do you have a recipe? Um, I do have a recipe. I also would like to say that if you're trying to fall asleep, I would not recommend reading a novel because that is how I have such terrible sleep habits and stay up till like five in the morning. I read cookbooks to fall asleep. I, I know that's kind of weird. Um, you said you read, you could also read like home decorating or stuff like that that just sort of like isn't, you're not really having to process it or remember. It's just sort of like, yes. I don't know. What's the word for that? Like, it's like filler. It's like, Yes. The white rice of reading. It's like, it's just kind of there. You're doing it. Um, So what I would recommend, and I'll put the recipe in the show notes, but um, David Leibovitz, who also writes great books, but he's a, um, he was a chef at Chez Panis in uh, San Francisco and he moved to Paris. And so he has these Uh great books about like what it's like to be an American living in Paris and trying to buy an apartment in Paris. It's like, he's funny and he's great. And his recipes are always good, but he has this fabulous recipe for nuts. Like, um, Uh salted smoked roasted like they're not smoked sorry they're just like sweet spicy like the best mixed nuts and like for me I always eat stuff like that um so I would say like while you're reading I would always go savory a little bit filling so that you like can read a little longer without having to stop for a meal and um his mixed nuts recipe is one of my favorites so I will leave that in the show notes as well perfect Awesome. Yeah. We'll put all the links in the show notes to all the books that we mentioned and um, to um, to the recipe and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you, if you found something that you loved or if you, if you have ideas, if you know that we love to read and that you love to read and you have ideas for us, I always want somebody to tell me what to read. Oh, yes, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to, um, you know, message me on Instagram or whatever and and tell me what to read because it's um I, I want people to tell me to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Personal recommendations are gold. For sure. For sure. Okie dokie. Anything else about reading that you want to say before we go? I mean, absolutely, but no, we, yeah, we're out of time. We are definitely out of time. We will say that our you know monthly episodes are going to be a little bit longer. So we're only going to be talking to you once a month for monthly episodes. So don't feel the need to listen to us all at one time come back to us (laughs) well i hope you guys like the new format um and we will see you next month or on patreon or on patreon definitely sounds good bye guys bye so till next week we are on instagram at woven and him we are on facebook and patreon forward slash woven and him you can also email us fully woven at gmail.com and I'm Rebecca Peet, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>